Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, guys. Well, uh, this is not Terry, but uh, this is Will Dexter in studio today covering for Terry as he and uh, Karen are out on assignment, I'm sure, doing something um, that they don't want to do, you know, fishing, you know, spend time on a beach somewhere or something like that. So, anyhow, uh, happy that we could be in here uh, to host the show this weekend. And like I said, we've had a lot going on, so just some great things going on in the state of Colorado right now. And I talked a little bit about this in the first segment um, but the, the Colorado fishing in this late summer to fall transition time frame is uh, just a great time to be out fishing. We've got a lot of great opportunities, you know, whether it's here on the Front Range. Um, but, you know, I think Matt's going to talk about this more. You know, I've, Matt Matt has, you know, primarily been our Front Range bass guide, Front Range walleye guide. And uh, this past year, uh, I'd say that he saw the light and uh, had an opportunity. He's, he's been doing a lot of guide trips for us up in the Spinney Mountain area in South Park, and uh, the trout fishing up there has just been, been uh, you know, not of this world, as Matt continues to tell us over and over. So uh, we're going to talk about that. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Will. It is great to have you uh, on the air. You know, I'd say normally on a normal summer, I only get to see you a handful of times, and it's usually uh, when I need some spinner baits or some some big inline spinners or uh or some jig hooks or something because I'm running out of hooks or running out of baits from using them up there at Spinney. But uh, I'd say the last couple of years I've gotten to see you uh, probably more than I get to see Nate these days. It's been a great season all year this year for pike and uh, trout up in uh, South Park area, as you just said, specifically Spinney, an awesome lake. Yeah, you know, Matt, something that, that uh, we have the absolute privilege of getting to do is, is you know, getting people out fishing and whether it's, it's – uh, uh, anglers that are new to the sport or anglers that have been fishing for a long time and, and to, to I don't want to spend too much time talking about it but you and I uh, we shared a customer this past week that uh, spent uh, a 12-hour day with you on the water um, and then a 12-hour day with me and then another six-hour day with me on the water and um, it's a guy that fished his whole life he's a trout fisherman fished his whole life and had never caught a trout I mean he's from eastern Pennsylvania fished a lot of creeks growing up and he had never caught a trout over 19 inches in his life and i can say this for me the first the first fish he caught with me uh was a 23 inch cut bow um and i i think after that he, he he had some plans to maybe fish some other lakes and decided you know what i can't leave spinny mountain reservoir yeah it's hard once you put him on spinny and they catch those monster trout you know 21 22 23 24 inch trout just over and over uh, it, it's a, a, a treat of a lifetime, quite frankly. It truly is a gold medal reservoir, and it puts out gold medal fish, no now, question about it. Now, you, you say that, and, and, and you know, you and I spent a lot of time up there, and, and I know, and I hope this doesn't come across these airwaves in the wrong tone, but there's days that we'll come off the water having a great day, and uh, we'll be talking to someone else at the boat ramp, and I almost think they don't believe us when we say how many fish we caught, and it's because we're doing something that I think is a little more unique, and I wouldn't be—I wouldn't say that is part of every trout angler's uh, arsenal or repertoire as far as uh, you know targeting big trout. So let's talk a little bit about what we're doing um, to catch these bigger trout and, and what kind of things are involved in into targeting them. Right. Well, for me, it's covering water. That's the first thing you want to keep moving until you find the fish. 
these fish do move around a lot. They're in one area uh, for a week or a few days, and then they, they can move very quickly based on their food source. Right now they're feeding on, you know, young-of-the-year perch that have hatched in the lake, little fingerlings, and those fish are real shallow. So those those trout and pike, too, have moved right to the banks uh, to to feed on that food source. And they'll stay there until the temperatures start to drop dramatically, and that hasn't happened yet. Uh, you know, the temperatures up in the South Park area in the mornings is around 50, but the water temperature is still in the 60s. So we're still using summer patterns and uh, those patterns uh, can include a fly rod with a midge or a calabatus on the surface if there's a fly hatch going on, or uh, casting uh, traditional spinning tackle, uh, what most people would consider heavy tackle for, for trout fishing. But when you're catching a four, five, six, seven pound trout, uh, you better have some decent tackle because a, a little midge and uh, you know, a 3X tip, they're just going to break it off. I can't tell you how many fish I've landed with midges stuck in their mouth where they broke somebody off. So we use a, a spinning tackle. I use 10-pound braided line, fluorocarbon leader, and we're casting uh, two baits, Tasmanian devils, minnow baits. If we go for the pike, we're throwing giant spinner baits, as you know, one ounce. Uh, buzz baits early. Uh, they'll come up on the surface for buzz baits for the pike, and uh, also uh, chatterbaits are a great uh, uh, bait for, for the pike. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, too, it, it's, you know, the chatterbaits is something interesting. You know, we've been throwing them a lot for pike, but um, when, our, when, when, our tube, when our tube jig bite kind of changed a little bit, we, we put some chatterbaits on this weekend and actually had a lot of success catching those trout in that super shallow water on chatterbaits, too. And, again, I, I think a lot of what we're doing, Matt, and a lot of the reason we have the success we have is, is A, we're, we're, we're moving with the fish is a big part of it. Um, you know, you hammered on, on the overnight temperatures, uh, you know, and the, and the temperatures in the morning when we're starting. Well, yesterday, um, I was, I you know, made it clear we needed to start as soon as we possibly can. The boat ramp, uh, basically, we were able to get on the water by 6. And the last several days leading up to yesterday, those fish were in, in you know, 8 to 10 to eight to ten inches of water or a foot of water to start the day and again in there super shallow but yesterday when i got to spinny it was 37 degrees um when we launched the boat at, at, at 6 a.m and granted that that temperature went up pretty quick but it was interesting that was our first really really cold morning that we've had um that i've noticed anyways and, and those fish were no longer in that super skinny water and they were in that five to seven to eight foot range to start the day and then as the day moved on like you said, they're following the food, so those perch perch probably sliding in shallower as that war as that water warmed up, um, started catching those fish there. So uh, definitely something to pay attention to. The air temperature is a big factor that that definitely is what affects the the, the surface temperature of the water too. So um, again, the South Park bite it's been absolutely on fire, catching a lot of big trout, catching a lot of pike. Um, Matt, what else do we have going on um, as far as some fishing opportunities here? So on the front range, we're still in a summertime pattern. The temperatures it was 90-some degrees yesterday. So summer baits for bass, uh, particularly buzz baits, shallow again. Uh, the bait and uh, the, the fry for the year is, is still shallow until those temperatures begin to drop, and then they'll begin to move deeper. So buzz baits, crank spinner baits are a great tactic to uh, and, and presentation to mimic those uh, small uh, baits that are, are, are up shallow and on the bank. 
Um, so bass fishing still good, uh, but you want to uh, fish early and late. As the sun gets up and it heats up, they'll move a little deeper and bury themselves in the grass beds. Yeah. Uh, the walleye bite is still going on summer uh, time patterns, bottom bouncers, and blade, uh, blade baits and wraps are going to start kicking in uh, latter part of September and on into October for big fish. But uh, little tiny jigs and bottom bouncers are still working in that 14 to 10-foot zone on road beds and humps uh, in our metro lakes for walleye. Absolutely. And, and Matt, I actually talked a little bit about this earlier, and this is something you uh, being the angler that you are, I mean, we we do call you you're 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 the Yoda, if you will, of our fishing group. Um, so we go to you for information all the time. But something else that we've been talking about this last week, and I talked about it earlier, is um, if you you know you you talked about the walleye being in 12 to 14, 16 feet of water on road beds, those for the most part are going to be your juvenile fish, your smaller fish. Um, and I kind of talked about, and I like to hear what your thoughts are, but if you want to catch some of these bigger walleyes right now, a lot of those fish are actually going to be, like you said at the bass, up a little tighter to the bank. Yeah, so they sometimes they'll be shallower uh, if the bait's there. Uh, but uh, a lot of times in those same zones that you're catching the juvenile fish, if you'll just move off the break, and the break will be the side of the roadbed or the side of the flat or the hump that you've been catching the juvenile fish on. And just slightly a little deeper water, you'll contact those bigger fish. So that's that's my technique for trying to get into some, some larger fish uh, by just going a little bit deeper. Absolutely. And, and again, that's why, that's why we talked to Matt, because uh, me personally, I like to go shallow to find those fish, but and, and I kind of overlook that deeper structure stuff. And again, but I think the key is the fact that those bigger fish don't necessarily want to be in the mix with those smaller fish competing for food um, because there's so many of them. Yep. You're absolutely right. They can be much shallower. You know, you look at these trout, we're catching those big giant trout in two and three feet of water. You can literally see them hit your bait. Uh, and they're up there because that's where their their food source is. And the same with walleye. They'll go real shallow and, and home in on those uh minnows uh, from this year's hatch shad or perch absolutely absolutely matt so if you uh if you were to tell people uh three three guide trips for the rest of the year uh between now and ice up that that they need to, to go on uh what would you say uh, number one is spinny that's that lake is just unbelievably good right now and still still going so i'd pick spinny number one for trout uh and number two would be a, a probably a walleye bite uh, because fall is a big fish time and uh, those bigger fish, as you just mentioned, will move shallow, and you can catch some 10-pound uh, walleye uh, coming up in September and early October. Absolutely. So there's just some great opportunities, again, not just for a guide trip, but also great opportunities to get out there as an angler on your own uh, to catch some of these fish that we have. Just just the uh, the unique opportunity to catch here in Colorado. A lot of people are, are traveling north or traveling east to go catch big walleyes, um, and, and big pike and stuff like that. But the reality is, is we got a lot of big fish right here. We certainly do. All right, Matt. Well, hey, that's again, this is Matt Ensley with Tightline Outdoors. Matt, if you want, if somebody wants to get a hold of you for a guide trip, uh, how do they do that? Contact Tightline, uh, 720-770-7777. All righty, guys. Well, thanks a lot. And, uh, Matt, thanks for coming on this, uh, coming on the show, talking fishing with you. It's always a pleasure. And, uh, I imagine I'll see you on the water this week. Sounds good. All right. That's Matt Ensley uh, with Tightline Outdoors. Again, just a phenomenal resource. Um, you should hit Matt up for questions on Facebook or something if you have any questions about stuff because the information that he has um, 
a lot of times can overwhelm you as an angler, but but some of the insight that he has with all the fishing he's done over the years um, is absolutely uh, critical when, when trying to further yourself or better yourself as an angler. So, uh, again, that's Matt Ensley with Tightline Outdoors. Uh, coming up next, we've got Nick Smith, the informative fisherman, coming on to talk bass fishing. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things, uh, including some big swim baits. So uh, looking forward to having Nick on here next. You're listening to 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. All right, guys. Well, you are listening to the Terry Wickstrom Outdoors show on 104.3 The Fan. I'm Will Dykstra in studio today uh, with the absolute privilege to sit behind this microphone and talk fishing with all you guys out here in Colorado and uh, I've got a very special guest coming up today. Uh, his name is Nick Smith. And for those of you guys that spend a lot of time watching fishing videos on YouTube, um, he is the informative fisherman and just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to bass fishing, especially big bass. And uh, I had the, I had the uh, pleasure of spending some time with Nick down in uh, Orlando this year at the Savage Gear booth at, at ICAST. And uh, I'll tell you what, Nick, it is great to have you on the show today. Absolutely, Will. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You know, and, and Nick, something you and I talked a little bit about earlier in the week um, is, is what we're going to talk about the, uh, on the on the show. And you know, here in Colorado, we've got a few uh, bodies of water uh, that are that I would consider big bodies of water. Um, mm-hmm. You know, reservoirs that have largemouth bass in them, smallmouth bass, in, and even some spotted bass in them. But uh, most of our fisheries here are going to be your your typical uh you know larger pond or even smaller pond uh backyard type fisheries and uh you know I know out there in California you deal with a lot of clear water fishing uh but you know largemouth bass uh are predators regardless of where they're at and they love <laughs> eating big swim baits so um talk a little bit about what your approach is to to swim bait fishing and maybe even swim bait fishing in some of these pond style situations you know what's really interesting about that, Will, is uh, people have built this stigma around swim bait fishing, thinking it only works in California, Texas, or uh, certain parts of Florida, or clear parts of Alabama, like wherever there's freakishly large bass only. And that is a huge myth. Um, swim bait fishing works everywhere. And when I'm talking about swim bait fishing, I'm not talking about necessarily catching bass all day long on a giant swim bait. What swim baits do is they have a different effect over bass. My buddy's uh, boating a big largemouth on a frog right in front of me right here. We're actually on the California Delta today. Nice. And uh, so what swim baits do is they have drawing power and presence. So, for example, if you can see three or four foot deep in the water, you can use a swim bait as a search tool. And what I mean by this, Will, and I'm talking really a, a, a seven to nine inch size swim baits. And that may seem just absolutely massive to you guys. But oftentimes when you're watching the show and you see a giant swim bait tight on my rod, you're probably going to see it throughout a few segments and you may not even see me catch a fish on it. But what that bait's doing is it's locating shallow fish for me. And what I mean by this is they follow it out. Big swim baits put them in a trance to follow, whether they're going to eat it or not. So a lot of the time, you can go to a body of water and throw like a seven and a half inch Shine Glide by Savage Gear, which is a you know eighteen dollar glide bait. You don't need one of these two hundred dollar glide baits, and you're going to see where all those big fish live, whether they bite it or not. 
So if you guys like throw on poppers or spinner baits, jerk baits or senkos, you now have a much better idea of going back and placing those baits on super high percentage areas. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, you know, you, you hit it on the head there um, because a lot of people, you know, will say, well, man, yeah, that swim bait's great. It looks realistic, but uh, <laughs> you know, the fish just followed it, followed it and just want to check it out. But, you know, looking at the bigger picture and using something like that, like you said, as a search tool, which will allow you to dial in, you know, where you're fishing and where to target these fish. I mean, right there, you've just narrowed down an entire body of water to where you can focus on, you know, finessing these fish and abiding if you have to or catching them, you know, maybe a different way. But uh, but the oh, reality absolutely. is. absolutely. And this works on ponds, rivers, or lakes. Everywhere I've been, well, you know me, I, I get to travel the country a lot nowadays and. Right. Um, everywhere I've gone, everywhere I've heard that, oh, we don't throw swim baits, swim baits don't work here. Granted, the majority of those places, I didn't catch a lot of fish on them, and, and I did catch some fish, but the using it as a search tool was still deadly effective yeah. every place I've been to. You know, and, and it's interesting, and I'll say this, Nick, the, the, as somebody that does a lot of multi-species angling, it's not just bass that that swim bait, um, you know, will show. Will show. You know, we're to, we have all places predators. where all predators, big, big lake trout, big, big browns, yep. even big rainbows will chase a big uh, a trout pattern swim bait. You know, muskies, pike, Mackinac that kind of thing. love them, and so do the big rainbows. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, you and I, I showed you some pictures of some of the fish we catch out here on swim baits, you know, from from, oh, yeah. from the bank even. And these are fish that you're Making casting. me jealous. <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> but we're, we're talking about throwing swim baits, you know, from the bank. And these swim baits still, you know, a lot of these are deep water fisheries, clear water fisheries. Um, probably have a lot of the similar characteristics to some of the bodies of water you fish for bass. But you're throwing up these over deep water. And these baits have such a presence that they will actually bring fish in from a distance. And it's not just, uh, you know, you mentioned that 9-inch shine, shine glide from Savage Gear. Um, oh, yeah. Swim baits aren't just about the big the big soft rubber baits. You know, there's a lot of big hard swim baits out there. The Shine Glide from Savage, um, the Glide Swimmer has, has, shown, has caught a ton of fish for me and, again, shown a ton of fish. Oh, yeah. well, anything you can do to um, put more fish or, or to, to dial in where you're going to be targeting these fish makes you a better angler. Absolutely. And it's, you got to go out with the mindset when you have a, you know, a seven inch plus swim bait tied on, don't, you don't want to go out thinking that, Hey, I'm going to go out and catch the fish of a lifetime today. Know the opportunities there and know you're going to be learning a bait. This is when you pick up a big swim bait, you really shouldn't bring other rods with you or put them under the deck of your boat because it's very uh, disheartening to go a couple hours without a bite. Right, absolutely. And it, it, all of us, we all want to go out and catch fish all day long. And if they're big fish, even better. Um, but to learn how to do this game is incredible because I can go to a body of water, and if I could see three or four feet deep, and I've never been there, you will see that I have a big swim bait tied on. And it's strictly from that drawing power. And uh, a big confusion that a lot of people have is paddle tail swim baits and glide baits. So when I'm saying big swim bait, you can think of a huddle stand. You can think of a savage gear pulse tail. uh, And those are your straight retrieve where the tail slowly kicks back and forth. Sometimes those baits do draw the fish and they follow. They follow glide baits much better. Now, with your bigger boot tail swim baits, you can use like the slow sink versions of those and bring them over trees, and they do work well coming straight through trees where a glide bait may snag a tree 
or a glybate you bring around that tree. But most often, uh, more than more often than not, those big boot tail swim baits are for tracing the bottom or a system that we call tractoring. So essentially, if you guys got a big rocky bottom, you're kind of using it like a jig. You're slowly dragging it. And those baits sit perfectly on their belly without falling over, so they tractor up and down. And that's to get those big freakish opportunities down deep. Anytime you feel a pop in your line, you know a freakishly large fish lives down there because you were offering them a freakishly large bait, and they took a pot shot at it whether they got it or not. Right. So if you feel a bite on something, one of those big boot tails down deep, mark that waypoint because I guarantee you if you take a drop shot or a jig or a jigging spoon off the bottom – you're in the zone of a freakishly large fish. And just by going around with these two baits, if you see a big fella, mark the waypoint. You now have big fish locations, whether you caught them or not. Yeah, And, 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 and that's one of the most overlooked things there is in all of bass fishing by far. You know, you, you couldn't have hit it on the head better in, in the fact, again, in, and we, we've already said it a couple times, but, but narrowing down where you're fishing, again, if you're fishing for a big fish, and you don't catch them on that swim bait, at least you've located them and, and, um, and you know, narrowed down where you're going to catch them. Now, the last thing I want to talk about before i got to let you go is, you know, you just kind of talked about tractoring with those big boot tails or those, you know, that, that new, yeah. the new pulse tail from Savage has become one of my favorites for pike fishing and for Amazing. lake trout fishing. And because, like you said, you know, we've got a lot of bodies of water out here that, that don't have a ton of structure. You know, we've got a lot of sand, a lot of mud, and mm-hmm. – uh, being it, you know, and for me as a big as a pike angler, uh, I love using that that uh, that pulse tail because you can rig it with the top go with the hook coming out through the top. It's a line through system, yep. and you can literally fish that bait right on the bottom. And I don't care what kind of fish it is, anytime you're kicking up mud on the bottom or bumping structure on the bottom, it triggers fish to bite. That thing will catch all large predators: pike, muskie. Giant walleyes, uh, yep. Mackinac lake trout, anything is going to eat that. It looks like a big, giant, natural wounded fish. Yeah, it, it absolutely yeah. does. And, and even in some cases, I mean, it doesn't even look wounded. Sometimes it's just it, it's as realistic as it gets. Now, real quick, what kind of what's your go to set, uh, setup for throwing swim baits? My go to setup. So this this varies um, for my you know eight inch, eh, probably eight and a half, nine inch and below glide baits. I use the sticks power stick that's sticks fishing stix fishing.com that's the power stick that's a rod i designed i'm part owner of this company um i spent years working a variety of large baits on that rod to get it perfect um up from there if i'm going nine inches plus i use the xx heavy browser and that's a savage gear swim bait rod that's browser b-r-o-w-s-e-r and then I use a very large round reel with a slower gear ratio, but the arbor is much larger. So your inches per turn are faster than you would think with like like a 5-3 to 1. It's fishing right. much more like a 7-3 or an 8 to 1. Right, right. And, and what kind of line are you spooling these up with? Now, depending on what type of abrasions I have, if I'm using a big heavy bottom bait, I'm using 25-pound P-Line CXX, which is a copolymer line. Right. Um, copolymer line is nylon-based line, so it's monofilament. They do have stretch, but the thicker line diameter you go, that stretch decreases. If it was 10-pound, yep. it would have 27% stretch. 25-pound, we're looking at about 8 to 9% stretch. Right. So you can still feel what's going on. On my right. glide baits, I prefer nothing less than 15-pound fluorocarbon. 
I'm generally fishing 20-pound fluorocarbon, and I'm using P-Line Tactical, which is a lot more limp of a fluorocarbon that has about 3 to 6% stretch. I feel that helps you a lot. Still super sensitive, still invisible. Great stuff. Awesome. Great stuff, Nick. Now, hey, um, for those of you that are listening that might not have seen uh, uh, the Nick's YouTube channel, uh, how can they, how can they uh, see some of your episodes, Nick? Just search Informative Fisherman on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, we're on a variety of different TV networks. <laughs> you'll see us popping up all over. If you type how to catch bass, how to catch striped bass, swim baits, you'll see me on there. I'm the big gangly fella, and uh, I'm just having a good time, loving what I'm doing. Maybe we got to get Will out here to fish on the show one of these days. Hey, I, I'm I'm up for hitting the Delta with you anytime. You say it, and I'll be on a plane. So. You and, name it, brother. Which, I'm ready. And in which case means you got to get out here and catch some of these big Lakers too. So, hey, you don't have to pull. You don't have to pull my ear. I'm there. Right. <laughs> awesome, Nick. Well, hey, thanks again for taking some time out of your fishing today to to, to talk some uh, big swim bait fishing with us here. I think that's a, some great insight you gave us as far as targeting these fish. And this will work on any body of water and even these smaller uh, pond fisheries that you might have in your backyard here. Absolutely. All right, Nick. You have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, you too, Will. Good luck out there. Thanks. All right, guys, that was Nick Smith, the informative fisherman. Great insight on, on using swim baits, not necessarily as a catching tool for fish, but a finding tool for, for uh, catching these large bass. And really, any, any fish, that's going to work for, um, it, you know, those swim baits tend to just show fish and allow you to dial in where those fish are going to be. So um, great information there. And, again, uh, check it out, the informative fisherman on YouTube. Um, coming up next, I'm going to be talking to you guys about some early elk hunting tactics here um, and maybe some mistakes that, that, that you might make early in the season that could affect the rest of your season. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to 104.3 The Fan. This is the Terry Wickstrom Outdoor Show. I'm Will Dykstra in studio today uh, while Terry and Karen are out doing uh, – Hopefully uh, some needed uh, rest and recovery from all the hard work they do. So anyhow, um, happy to be in the studio today, Kyle. Why are you laughing back there? Oh, oh, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't laughing. Okay, I, I, I wasn't sure. Kyle, Kyle Barry behind the glass uh, looked had a funny, funny look on his face. So anyhow, um, all right, guys. Well, real quick, well, this is going to be a pretty short segment to make sure that we get uh, Ronnie from the Fishful Thinker uh, uh, plenty of time because he's got a lot of great information. Um, about what's going on in the fishing world right now, too. Um, but real quick, you know, I, I'm an avid an avid elk hunter, avid bow hunter. I've, I've bow hunted for a lot of years. And uh, I just wanted to talk real quick about, you know, some of the early season tactics. And, and I'll probably cover early season mistakes um, as far as what bow hunters do in general a lot of times. Um, and some, maybe some misconceptions as, as far as what it takes to be successful, especially trying to, to uh, put an arrow in, in a big bull or even a cow if, if you're, uh, um, when you're elk hunting. But anyhow, so early in the season, I will say this. This year, um, our archery season is starting uh, a weekend later than it typically does. Um, the archery season typically starts the, the weekend before uh, Memorial Day weekend. And this year, uh, with the way that the dates felt, or, or fell, our season opened later, so we're actually a week behind, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, so a lot of times, you know, a big reason that a lot of guys and gals want to bow hunt for elk, um, the archery season, you know, typically takes place during the rut, uh, which is just the best time all year of all year to be in the woods chasing elk because of the experience, the, ch- the fact that you get to hear them bugling, you get to see these elk uh, rounding up their harems, 
and, uh, you know, see, you know, what I would consider the essence of elk hunting. Um, and that's chasing these bulls when they're bugling and, and super vocal. But, uh, a lot of mistakes that a lot of, a lot of elk hunters make, and I'm, and I'm as guilty as anybody at this is, you know, you spend a lot of time, you watch, you're watching hunting shows, whether it's, uh, the, the primos truth about, uh, big elk hunting or, uh, any of these other shows that you see where you've got screaming bulls in your face and you got, you got guides that are, uh, pounding these elk calls over and over and over. And these bulls are pouring it back and forth. And the biggest mistake that a lot of bow hunters make, a lot, especially a lot of new bow hunters, archery is easily one of the largest growing sports um, or, or kinds of hunting that there is right now. So we got a lot of new hunters out there. And one of the biggest mistakes that people make, and like I said, I'm as guilty as anybody, is, is you see these elk calls, you know, there's, there's a billion different kinds of them. But, uh, you know, you just can't help but blow on those things when you're out in the woods and you're trying to get an elk to respond. And, and it doesn't necessarily happen like it happens on TV. Now, every once in a while, you hit that golden opportunity where the elk um, literally just have fire in their eyes and they come to every call. But the reality is, is, is overcalling is one of the largest mistakes that we make as elk hunters, especially early season bow hunters and, and, and even muzzleloader hunters for that matter. And all you're doing is you're educating those elk. You know, these elk... A lot of these elk have a pretty good inventory in their mind of what elk are in the area. And, and you know, it, you don't have to be a good caller necessarily to call elk. There's a lot of guys I know that are phenomenal callers, but all they do is scare elk away because, um, you know, you're not, you're not on par with what's happening um, in, the, in the habitat right now. And, and a lot of times you walk in the woods right now and you start uh, blowing a bunch of uh, big three-note bugles with chuckles and that kind of thing a lot of times you're going to get those elk to not only clam up, but a lot of times they'll just move out of the area. So my biggest number one tip is swallow your call. Swallow your call for the first part of the season. It, you know, I, I keep a cow call in my mouth at all times, and that's just to make elk sounds if I'm walking through the woods, make it a little more noise than I'd like uh, because elk do make noise walking through the woods. Everybody says, well, man, you're stepping on a bunch of sticks. Well, I, I don't know how many elk can walk through the woods without without making sounds. So, um but swallow your call. Don't don't do a bunch of big bugles. Don't don't start chasing them like you see them on TV. And you know, take the temperature of those elk. You know, I like that we call it prospecting for elk. You know, I might blow one call in the morning first thing as the sun's coming up just to get a location on them, and then I'll kind of plan my day based off of that. Now, uh, the second tip I'm going to say is stop walking through the woods all day. You know, a, a, a lot of guys say, well, if I'm not in the woods and I only got two days every weekend to hunt. I want to make the most of my time. Well, the reality is, is you're not making the most of your time when you're walking around the woods all day, when you're spending eight to 10 hours hiking through the woods. When these elk, these elk are going to be the most active in the mornings and in the evenings, that's where they're going to be up um, feeding. That's when they're going to be drinking. And then they're going to bed down. They're going to lay up throughout the course of the hot part of the day. And that is the absolute worst time of day. Not to say you can't kill an elk in the middle of the day. And that you can't sneak up on them, but more often than not, you know, with the way the winds are in the woods and the drafts, or in the with the wind drafts going, you more often than not spending more time in the woods is going to decrease the amount of time or the amount of uh, success that you have. So what I like to do is, I, as I say, escape the heat. You know, either go back to camp or find some place uh, to lay up, but stop walking through the woods and marching through the woods because a lot of times you're going to scare these elk out. And, and a lot of times when you, when you push an elk out of their bed or out of their home, they're smart. They're, you know, there's a reason they're still alive. There's a reason they haven't been harvested is because they avoid, um, stuff that isn't natural to the, to, to what they're used to all year long. So let these elk kind of do their thing and plan your day around, um, where these elk are, are, are bedding and where they're going to feed. And a lot of times uh, you can actually ambush those elk and, and almost hunt them like you would hunt a whitetail out of a tree stand or even a blind. 
and set up on these areas in between their beds and where they're feeding or, or getting water, and that's going to be your, your ticket to success early in the season. So, and the last thing I'm going to hit on real, real quick is, is use your optics, use your, whether it's binoculars or spotting scopes, and, and spend a lot of time glassing the areas, and that'll kind of give you a, a kind of a, an opportunity and a game plan to figure out where these elk are at. Again, spending time watching the elk from a distance is much better than hopping in the woods and, uh, and potentially maybe pushing them out of their environment. And again, once they get a little bit uh, leery of, of humans walking around, they get harder and harder to hunt. So um, at this time of year, I, I say this all the time in the fishing world, early in the season, more or, or less is more. You know, less action on your fishing lures is more action early in the season as far as, you know, catching fish. And I would say elk hunting uh, is no different. Early in the season, stop moving around a bunch. Don't get super aggressive and try to ambush these animals. Try to figure out where they're at. And not to say they can't come to a call. I mean, I, I always have a call ready um, in case that situation uh, presents itself because there are no rules. Uh, but these are kind of the, the guidelines that I stick to for early season archery hunting. And until you start hearing these elk bugle, a lot of times I won't start bugling or won't start doing a ton of calling until I hear the elk tell me that they're ready. So those are kind of my finer tunes there for or finer tips for, for early season elk hunting. And uh, make sure that you, like I said, swallow your call. Don't, don't do a ton of calling, and you're going to have more success because of that. So uh, good luck out there if you guys are bow hunting right now. Hopefully, uh, maybe you're, hope, hopefully you're back at camp taking a listen to the show and uh, not walking through those woods right now. So anyhow, uh, we got Ronnie from the Fishful Thinker coming up next to talk about uh, preparing for some fall fishing. So can't wait to pick his brain about what's going on in his neck of the woods here in Colorado. And, uh, you know, as always, he's got some great information. You're listening to 104.3 The Fan. the fan i'm will dykstra in studio today covering for terry and uh i'd say one of my cohorts here uh that does this every so often as well is on the line we got ronnie castiglione from the fishful thinker guide service up in northern colorado how you doing ronnie hey will how's it going this morning you know i'm great it's uh you know it's always a good opportunity to be in here and and get to talk fishing and hunt with people from all over the country and bring it to our listeners here in colorado but uh you know, I'm I, I am itching to get out though. It's it's a pretty nice day today. Yeah, it's definitely uh, looks like a nice day out there, Will. And you know what I wanted to talk about today was you know fall is just right around the corner. And I've been listening to the show this morning. You guys have been talking a little bit about some fall activities coming up and hunting and fishing and all that kind of good stuff. But you know, for me, fall is definitely one of my favorite times of the year. There's no doubt about it. Angling can be the best that it will be all year long, especially as we get into September, October, and November. Uh, you know, the fish absolutely strap the feed bags on, and there's an excellent opportunity to get out there and, and catch not only uh, numbers of fish, but you might actually catch the biggest fish you're going to catch all year this time of year, Will. But, you know, what I really wanted to cover was there's some tips that I'd like to impart to some of the anglers out there, some things that I think people need to do in order to get ready for fall fishing, Will. So let's talk about that real fast because I know we're running kind of short on time. Absolutely. Um, one of the big tips that I'd like to give people out there for this time of year is – is to talk about the line you have on your reels, Will. Um, this is the time of year to be changing out
out that line and to be putting new line on. Now, some people might think, hey, it's getting late in the year. Why would I be putting new line on? Well, this time of year, you definitely have the opportunity to catch the biggest fish you may catch all year. And if you're fishing with old line well, uh, that fish might school you out there. So you want to get out there. You want to put new line on the reels. Uh, I definitely put brand new fluorocarbon on all my finesse reels this time of year, the six and eight pound fluorocarbon. Brand new stuff goes on. Now, a lot of my reels this time of year, I'm going to be utilizing braid or some sort of super line on those. Um, it may not be that they need to be, you know, new line needs to go on, but I might want to pull the braid off, put a little bit more backing behind it, and fill that line all the way up so that I have a full spool that's ready to go so that when I get out there this time of year, I have, uh, you know, my maximum casting distance. I have my most sensitive drag. I have my maximum line recovery rate by filling that spool all the way up, Will. Uh, you know, one of the other things is this time of year, it tends to be that I run a lot of nanofill as I get into fall, Will. Um, I don't fish nanofill a whole heck of a lot throughout the rest of the year, but as I get into fall, casting distance in open water can be key for me, and there's just nothing out there that I've found that casts farther than nanofill. So usually I'm running maybe six- or eight-pound test nanofill, which is incredibly thin, Will, and if, if people haven't utilized that line before, that, that eight-pound test nanofill, for example, has a two-pound test mono equivalency. So that thing will cast a mile and a half. It usually adds a good 10 15% distance on the end of my cast. And if I'm out in the middle and I'm chasing fish in open water, looking for fish that are chasing bait, you know that nanofill is definitely something I'm going to go to, Will. You know, you bring up some some really good points there, there, Ronnie, and especially, you know, the fact that, you know, putting fresh line on is a great idea. And another reason for that is because we both do this. I know guiding in the fall, we spend a lot of mornings where those that we have sub 32 degree temperatures when we start, which ultimately leads to icing up on the guides. And if you have line that's 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 a little bit worn out, you could be in a lot of trouble if, if you don't put put, uh, you know, some good, clean, fresh line on that's that's got your maximum strength to it. Now, real quick, I, I apologize that we have such a short segment today, uh, but what are some of your go-to techniques for, for some of the fish on your bodies of water? I know you guide on Boyd and Horsetooth and places like that. What do you need to do to catch some big fish in the fall up there? You know, the, the first thing is, is to be in the right spot, Will. Um, you know, locating the bait as we get into fall is definitely one of my big keys that I'm going to get out there and do. Um, you know, I'm going to utilize my electronics. I'm going to visually run around the lake and visually look for bait fish on the surface, especially if conditions are right. So trying to locate the bait is going to be key. A lot of times I may run around and scan for a half hour before I actually do any fishing, just looking at points, looking at humps, trying to find the, the bait fish pushed up onto a point, trying to find the hump that's got the bait fish on top of it and that I see active return. So locating the bait is definitely going to be one of the first things I'm going to do. And then once I've located the bait, Will, then becomes uh, trying to determine whether or not I need to fish horizontally or I need to fish vertically for those fish. So if, if I'm going to be trying to fish vertically for those fish this time of year, I'm looking at things like spoons, you know, jigging spoons, flutter spoons. I'm looking at blade baits, things like that, that I can drop straight down and I can rip up and down and allow to fall. Jigs are an excellent thing as well. So maybe gulp minnows or tube jigs are also excellent to fish vertical. I really like fishing with jigs because I can also throw those things out and cast them just like you were talking about in 
trigger those trout, trigger those white bass, trigger those wipers to strike those things right on the surface. So um, a lot of times I, I utilize the jigs vertically and horizontally at the same time. And then if it seems like the fish aren't really down with the vertical presentations, then it becomes a straight horizontal thing for me. A lot of jerk baits, a lot of spinner baits, a lot of crank baits, swim baits, things like that, things that I can cover water with that I can work horizontally, that I can try to try to emulate those bait fish running away from those predators. Those are key this time of year. Also, I, you know, a lot of surface, a lot of surface lures this time of year. Will I, I like to get out there and work those walking baits, especially this Absolutely. time of year. Uh, work the walking baits real, real 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 fast and make them look like they're bait fish fleeing away those are how i'm going to trigger my strikes i'm just going to try to determine that and once i figure out if the fish are going to want to hit things vertically or horizontally then i'm going to try to run that pattern all around the lake wherever i can find the bait fish well that is absolutely gold information to have especially when you're considering targeting these fish especially on some of these bigger bodies of water like where ronnie spends a lot of time guiding real quick ronnie how can people get a hold of you to, to get out there and catch some fish with you you absolutely are one of the best anglers that I've seen, not just finesse angling, but power fishing as well. So how can people learn some of your tricks? Fishwillthinker.com. You can get a hold of us there. You can get me, Ronnie, at Fishwillthinker. You can find me, Ronnie Chastley, on Facebook. Uh, send me an email. Let me uh, let me uh, get you on the calendar. Uh, I'm not booking any trips right now because i got a brand-new baby downstairs, but I am looking to book some trips in October and November. So give me a call. We'll get you out there, Will. Perfect. Thanks, Ronnie. Appreciate you coming All right, buddy. on. You have a good one. All right, guys. Well, Absolutely great time hosting the show with you guys. A quick reminder, the show hours should be moving back from 9 to 11 next week, getting back on that regular schedule. You're listening to 104.3 The Fan.